Well, good morning once again, One Life Community Church. Good morning to you online who are joining us. It is great to be with you. I wish uh, you online could see the beautiful view that we have out back here, this lake and the sun and uh, just the kind of glistening of the grass as it's kind of thawing from the cold. It's, it's been a wonderful retreat. Um, if you weren't aware of what's going on, we are here at Lakeside Bible Camp. If you are at One Life, you could probably be sitting in front of the building on your phone watching us online and join us that way. Um, I do have a couple announcements for you. One is, as we have been spending time together as a community here, connecting with God, listening to God, sharing stories about God. Um, we want to make sure you know that there's another opportunity if you're looking for other ways to connect with God. The De Loretto's are going to be hosting a meal at their house on November 23rd with some facil facilitators who are going to be discussing the possibility of this five-month prayer retreat. If that's something you're interested in, you could talk to Greg and Angie about that. You could send an email in and let us know. It's coming up on the 23rd, and we want to make sure you know about it. It should be a wonderful opportunity. Also, over the last couple weeks, our Kids Life Ministry, in partnership with One Life Tutoring, have had this thankfulness tree in our kind of lower stairwell by the commons. And with that, they are learning to be thankful. They're putting leaves on it to allow themselves to share things that they're thankful with. But as well, there are these little um, that provide a way for us to give $20 to um, our tutoring program to provide shoes for those families and kids in need. Those shoe drive kind of card envelopes are 20 to put cash, check, or you can go to Payless and get a $20 card and just stick it in there. We're still in quite a good need of those. Um, so you don't need one of those envelopes to do that. Um, you can uh, bring it next Sunday. You can send it in however you want. We want to make sure you know we could still use about 30 of those to make sure we meet all the needs there. So want to make sure you know about that so you can participate. Last thing is our Kids Life program is working really hard for December for our Kids Life Choir. It's basically the ultimate cuteness factor that happens in the Christmas season, and we want to make sure you know about it. Next Sunday, um, any kids from 3 to 5th grade are welcome to join everybody in the youth room at 1030. They will be practicing what could be the coolest song ever. It even has a banjo involved. There's banjos. I mean... Cute kids, Christmas song, banjo. It's like the trifecta of Christmas glory. So we want to make sure you know about that as well. Um, at this time, I'm going to invite everyone here to stand. You can say hello. Um, we're going to dismiss the kids. If you're at home or here, you could quickly run and get some coffee. The band's going to kick back in in just a moment, and we're going to continue with our service. So stick with us. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. 
sickness under control. God who comes on my storm, you're the voice inside my door. Don't lose 
watching uh, online. It has been and will continue to be a delight to share this time with you. Um, it has been an amazing weekend. Uh, I really have enjoyed uh, time with you, my family. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive into this morning's stuff. Heavenly Father, uh, just give you deep thanks, God, for the ways uh, you have spoken, God, the ways you have listened, and the ways you have invited us into uh, those rhythms. I pray that we would be moved by you, Holy Spirit, to listen well and to speak truthfully um, in, in all of our relationships and everything we do, and that you would be brought glory by those things. Yeah, I pray you'd be with us during this time. Open our hearts and minds uh, that we would be transformed and be more like you. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, before we uh, <coughs> move into our stuff, I want to play a song for you. We've been practicing listening. Um, and I'm just going to start the song. And then about halfway through, so the song's 42 minutes long. Um, we are not going to listen to all 42 minutes. So we're going to listen to about four minutes of it. So in about two minutes in, I'm going to put the title and the, 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 the composer of the song up. It's actually done by the Seattle Symphony. Um, but uh, if I put the title up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give some stuff away. But I want you to take a chance to listen and sort of see what, what does this song uh, bring up for you. Uh, the first 15 or so seconds are really quiet, uh, and it'll build. And so... If you're like 15 seconds in, you're like, I don't hear anything, just hang in there. It'll, it'll get going. So. 
Um, I'm curious, before I put the title up, what were some of the images or maybe some of the thoughts you were thinking of about this song? What kinds of things did it, did it conjure up for you or, or sort of stir up in you? Creation. Genesis 1, sunrise, yeah, mm-hmm. outer space, yeah, yeah. It's got a certain expanse to it, doesn't it, right? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So this guy, John Luther Adams, just, uh, he won the Pulitzer Prize for music with this song, and he lives in Alaska, but he spent several months, lives kind of interior Alaska, but he spent several months on the Pacific coast, um, and every night he was uh, um, contracted to write uh, a piece and so what he did is he spent these months every night with his window open next to the ocean and just listened every night. He didn't work on anything. He didn't write anything. He just listened for months. And then he would say that this music was almost like his testimony of this experience. It was his sort of truth-telling about the ocean, about what it sounded like, that it got so into him that he could, it almost wrote itself. Um, and so I, s- I found that to be uh, fascinating and just a good... Uh, another example of how we're talking about listening and testimony and, and how those things can get expressed uh, and, and, and uh, lived out for us. We started this, uh, this family gathering uh, by getting away from home and from work and some of the rhythms in those places and taking some time to, to attend together to the Father, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, to God. And we spent some time learning to listen, retuning our own person, listening to God, centering on knowing that we are deeply loved by God, and that uh, yesterday we even talked about how from that place of being, uh, of knowing that we're deeply loved, we can listen to others and not listen to them in a way of like, I'm going to fix your problem or I'm going to fix you, but we can listen to them as a person. And we spent some time last night looking at this word and this rhythm of testimony, of storytelling, truth-telling, bringing a good Report And that when the Bible uses this word, it has this, this aspect to it where it's, it's truth, but it's also truth that kind of needs to get out there. It wants to be known. And that there are so many different ways that this can happen through words, actions, songs, creation. And what we want to do for this end time is explore what happens when these two are working together, specifically in our relationships with each other and the people around us. What happens, what does it look like when we're listening well to people, when we're speaking and and, and giving testimony through our lives to the people around us? Now, we don't have to look very far, I think, to know that communication with another person can be difficult. (laughs) Thank you. Um, uh, There are lots of times where this kind of conversation will happen uh, between Angie and I, where she'll say, Hey, do you want to go eat out tonight? And I'll be like, you mean today, tonight? And she'll look at me like, no, yesterday, tonight, or <laughs> tomorrow, to- yes, tonight, today, tonight. And I'll be like, like at a restaurant out? She'll be like, no, like out in the backyard out. What, do y- what is wrong with you? And for some reason, I keep asking these questions. Um, and sadly, my uh, youngest daughter has picked this up as a method to irritate her older sister. Um, <laughs> And so she does it on purpose, which brings up a whole other thing about listening and communicating. Uh, but um, just for fun, uh, I have a, a short video clip that's, that's a great example. It's an old skit. Well, it's some people redoing uh, an old skit with a little extra add-on uh, about miscommunication. So let's 
Let's watch this. We have some sound. Hang on. is important for communication, drastically important. Oh! I tell you, Jimmy, you know what I love, Jimmy? I love baseball. When we get to St. Louis, will you tell me the guys' names on the team so when I see them in that big St. Louis ballpark, I'll be able to know those fellas? All right, but you know, as strange as it may seem, they give these ballplayers nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names. Nicknames, pet names. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know's on third. That's what I'm trying to find out. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know's on third. You know the fellow's name? Yes. And who's playing first? Yes. I mean the fellow on first base. Who? The fellow played first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who's on first? Why are you asking me for? I'm not asking you, I'm telling you who is on first. You guys talking about me? <laughs> Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. This is who? How should I know? I never met the guy. Well, now you've met him. Met who? Yes. Look, would you tell me your name? Who? You. Who? Him. Me? Yes. Who? Hmm. What is your name? No, no, no. What on second? This is who? That's what I'm trying to find out. All right, calm down, will you? Okay, listen. When I say hello to this fellow right here, I'm saying hello to who? Hello, nice to meet you. See, now you're starting to get it. Get what? I'm right here. And who are you? I'm who. What? Yes. Ugh. Who's this fella? No, who is that fella? I am who. Who am I? How am I supposed to know? What's your name? Now, what is his name? I'm not asking you what his name is. I'm asking you, who is this fella right here? That's right. But what's his name? What is my name? You don't know your name. Of course I do. Well, then tell me. What? Your name. What? What's wrong with this guy? Who? What? Yes. I think he's got a hearing problem. Who? What? Yes. Look. Can't you see him talking to him? Who? What? Who? What? Who? What? Who? What? Boys, boys, settle down. Now then, I'm glad that's all cleared up. He's who and what's his name? I don't know! All right, gentlemen, I couldn't help overhearing this conversation. It's very simple. This fella's actual name is who? W-H-O. And this fella's actual given birth name is what? W-H-A-T. Well, that clears it up. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? But wait, who are you? I don't know. Third base! So even when we're telling the absolute clear truth, so difficult to understand sometimes. Sometimes we're not understood, and we often make assumptions about what the person we're talking to knows or doesn't know, what they understand or what they don't understand. And so what we're talking about, and when we start talking about listening and testimony, hearing and speaking, hearing and living, we're talking about nothing short of the most miraculous kind of stuff that God does. We often crave a certain kind of miracle. 
we often have a very limited view of how God can work. When I was working at uh, the University of Washington as a campus pastor, I remember when I turned 40 thinking, how is it possible that I can still communicate in relevant ways to these students, right? Some of them, I'm more than twice their age, and for a, a handful of them, I'm the exact age of their parents, the last people they think of as being relevant. How am I going to get up? How am I going to sit and talk in one-to-one situations with them and still be, uh, have, be able to connect with them? And so uh, I prayed about this a lot. And I remember being directed to the book of Acts. So I read through the book of Acts. And then I remember being directed to the, the event we call Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit shows up to this group of people who are praying. They're waiting for uh, the Holy Spirit to show up. And there's this other group of people outside. And these people who are waiting and praying, they start speaking in different languages. And these people who are around outside from all these different places start hearing the good news of Jesus, the gospel proclaimed in their own language. And so you've got these people who can't connect to this group of people because there's a language barrier all of a sudden able to communicate in a language they can understand. And thousands of people come to know Jesus because of this. And I remember thinking, that's a great story. But I'm not talking about a language barrier. There's, there's, there's not that kind of issue here. And I remember the Spirit very clearly pressing into me saying, why are you limiting me? To, to something I thought was like, no, this is the way. This is the powerful way that you're going to work. And the Spirit says, why are you limiting me? And I remember thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about when you say, I feel like these guys, who, what, I don't know what. What are you saying? Don't limit me. And as I shared this with some friends, they started saying, well, what if the Spirit's movement in a way that could cross a generation barrier so that a younger generation could, older, could understand and connect with someone from an older generation? What if there was an ethnic or a racial barrier that could be crossed or a gender gap that could be crossed or a socioeconomic gap that could be crossed? And aren't those just as much an expression of the power of the Holy Spirit as the one we saw at Pentecost? And I remember feeling very small and thinking, yeah, I did limit the Holy Spirit. And then I started thinking this could apply to anyone, right? My my spouse, my family, my friends, my coworkers, uh, people on I-5 who I get mad at. What if somehow I could communicate something truthful and helpful to these people? And wouldn't that be a movement of the Holy Spirit? I do want to assure you that in saying this, I am not discounting any of the other ways that the Holy Spirit moves. In fact, what I, what I would uh, would push is that I think the Holy Spirit works best when we're operating in all the gifts, like when God's community is all expressing the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives them, and we are like a band, like a symphony that God is conducting, and we all have different instruments, and they come together and create this beautiful song when they're all working together. But this weekend, we're focusing on how we interact, listening and testimony. And wasn't yesterday the time we had sharing after uh, the, the listening and the, and the Lectio Divino uh, of the story of the kids coming to Jesus and then the time of worship of sharing? Wasn't that powerful? Wasn't that encouraging? Wasn't that moving? And wasn't it obvious that the Holy Spirit was here because it was God speaking? It was God inspired. It was God breathed. 
and it was us, and it was our stories, and it was our breath all coming together. It was testimony, truth-telling. It was a beautiful thing. A good friend of mine um, named John uh, Pattison, this is he and his uh, wife, Kate. Uh, John lives in Silverwood, Oregon, and uh, Rich and I got to meet him uh, this last year when we were part of this uh, certification program called Leadership in the New Parish at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And John is a writer. He co-wrote the book Slow Church that you've heard us reference a couple of times. Fantastic guy, um, doing a lot of cool things. But one of the things that he and some other people in his community have been doing for the last five and a half years or so is they started this weekly meal for anyone in the community. And their original goal was that they wanted to feed 25, they wanted to be able to, to sustain 25 meals a week. And that was in 2009, June of 2009. So 25 meals per week. So if you do the math, 25 meals a week, 52 weeks a year, that's 1,300 meals a year for five years. That's 6,500 meals. That's a lot. That's not too shabby. This last June, which was their fifth year on June 11th, 2014, that not only celebrated five years of doing this, but serving their 100,000th meal. So if you average that out, that changes from 25 meals a week to about 384 meals per week. What happened? They have this saying that we trust each other into speech and we listen each other into trust. And that's kind of their motto for this group. So they sit down and they talk. They just have this community meal, and everyone now is showing up. Everyone. And they're talking about real things. And when they talk and people listen, the people who are speaking feel trusted because they're, they're giving something, and people are caring for those words and those expressions really well. And then the, the people who speak feel like they want to speak more because they're trusted. And so there's this sort of cycle that's happening, that this trust is being built. And John would say that this, this reality, this trust, is one of the key things that has been missing in their community. This, this town has the country's first transgender mayor. And the mayor has all kinds of issues being trusted and trusting other people. Because they don't feel very welcomed. They don't feel like they're trusted. And yet, everyone comes together, including the mayor, to this meal... And now they're starting to talk, and they're starting to share about real things. What's going on in, in, in everything from the weather to the political issues in the town to the history of the town to, to what's happening in their lives, and they're building in their trust, and it's continuing to grow. That's what we are working to do. That's what was happening yesterday. People share I can be trusted to share these things in this space with you all, my family. We're being cared for. The thing about this that for me is very exciting, this is the constant state that God himself exists in. We've talked about the Trinity a bunch of different times, um, and we have this image that we have up in the church uh, and that we use at different times. And it's uh, an icon by this guy named, uh, his last name's Rublev. Um, and it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of a two-faceted, that's way more than that, but two main uh, things going on here. That this is an image of the three strangers that Abraham um, 
welcomes and feeds uh, back in Genesis, but it's also Rublev's take on the Trinity. And the thing that I'm going to move over here, and uh, the thing that has always been super exciting to me about this image, so you have the three members of the Trinity, um, and, and you kind of focus in, in here, and you've got this bowl of food in the middle, but then there's this little square right here. And lots of people have thought lots of different things about this, but one of the things that I've always noticed, thank you, uh, that I've been drawn to with this little square down here my my vision is drawn there and it's almost like there's this spot there and lots of scholars and stuff say that one of the things Rublev was trying to communicate is that there's a space at the table there's empty space there and that as we are adopted into the family this family here that exists in the trinity we're invited into this relationship this relationship where they are constantly listening and constantly communicating truth to one another that's, that's what they do. That's the, the heart of their relationship, that in love, they are being faithfully present to speak to and to listen to one another. And that we're invited to participate in that relationship. If you read in Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we, uh, indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, which is sitting at the table. It's being part of that relationship. It's being in that conversation. So at this table, in this relationship that we get to be a part of with the Trinitarian God, we learn what it means to listen. We learn what it means to speak truth, to tell stories. And if you look through the Bible, you can see this in some other places. And, uh, and I had lots of them that came to mind as I was thinking about what I, what I wanted to say. There's when Peter kind of gets into it with Paul. He kind of calls him out, and there's this face-to-face, honest conversation that first seems like, oh, a little tense. But they move on because they love one another. They care for one another. They're listening. They're allowing the other one to speak. The one I want to look at, though, is, is one that uh, hits on this reality that in the Bible, when you look at the, the, the theme of friendship in the Bible, the core value that the Bible ascribes to friendship is faithfulness. And what I'm going to call faithful presence, being there, listening, telling the truth, just being with someone. And, and I think the clearest example of this reality of faithfulness or faithful presence in, in the Bible is uh, described in this friendship between two guys named Jonathan and David. Now, Jonathan is the son of Saul, and Saul is Israel's king at the time when he and David are friends. Now, that in and of itself is fine, and, and that he's friends with David is fine, but there's a whole bunch of total reality TV show kinds of drama that takes place in this story. So Saul is the current king of Israel. Jonathan is his son. David is the heir to that throne. So God has said David's going to be the next king, um, and so now there's some kind of issues there, and Saul a bunch of times tries to kill David. Now, if my good friend's dad was trying to kill me, 
not just once, but several times, I might have some issues with my friend. I might want to maybe get out of that relationship or, you know, but they stay friends through all this stuff. There are lots of times where these great conversations where David will ask, like, what have I done? Why, why is your dad trying to kill me? What, what have I done to earn this? And, and they're working through all this and they stay together and they make covenants together. And there's listening and there's speaking truth that happens between these two. All kinds of difficult conversations and yet they reaffirm their care and their love for one another in, in some beautiful ways. In uh, 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 4, we have um, Jonathan. Uh, it says, uh, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his uh, sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, this isn't just Jonathan giving David some things. And David's going to be going into battle, and so you could say, oh, he's giving them that stuff to go into battle. That's very cool. Um, but it's also this reality that Jonathan is a soldier. He's giving his identity to David. He's saying, I'm giving who I am to you. That, that when you attend to someone, that when you listen to someone well, you give them who you are. Your whole person is oriented towards them. And you give that to them. It's also symbolic, I think, of the fact that Jonathan, he's saying, and in our relationship, I'm not going to fight with you. Not in a sense that I'm not going to confront you and tell you true things, but I don't need weapons against you, and I don't need armor, and I don't need shields, and I don't need this stuff to protect myself. That's the depth of friendship we have, and that's the faithfulness that I am exhibiting towards you. If we look a little further in this story, uh, life goes on for the two of these guys. Uh, eventually, Jonathan and his father Saul die in a battle. And David um, says this in 2 Samuel uh, 126, 126. He says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was more wonderful than that of a woman. This is a captivating and beautiful passage for a lot of reasons. But for today, I want us to focus on what it reveals to us about faithfulness. So this word love, your love for me was wonderful more wonderful than that of a woman. Uh, the word love in and of itself appears about 450 times in the Old Testament. And so it's a bit like rain is for us. I don't know if you hear people talk about different levels of rain. It's torrential, it's raining cats and dogs, it's Seattle spit, it's mist, it's this dew, it's sprinkling, it's downpouring. We have all these different ways to talk about rain, where if you go to a lot of other places in the country, it's just raining, right? That's it. It's just rain. They don't have all these different levels. Love has all these different connotations and twists on it. This word that is translated here for love shows up 33 times in the Old Testament. Uh, one example of it is found in uh, Genesis 29.20, 20, um, and it says this, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. There's this sense of commitment. There's this sense of long-suffering and patience and faithfulness 
And every other one of the 33 times that this word is used to describe love, it has that same undercurrent to it, that same tone to it of patience. That, that in the face of all other things, one of, the, one of the times it's used, it's talked about being a banner, that love is a banner over this person, which means that I've chosen this person, and I'm showing everyone that this person is who I love. When you sit and attend to someone, when you listen to them, when you speak to them, often you are saying to everything else, for this moment, I'm choosing you. To be faithfully present, to listen and build trust, to be present and to testify in our words and actions and silence is to be faithfully present and to love. Well, what are the, the results of this then, and how, how maybe do we do this? Um, some of the results of this would include people coming to know God. If God exists in this state of trusting and, and, and speaking and listening, and then God dwells within us, when we interact with somebody in that way, God will be revealed. When uh, Rich and I, again, took this certification course, uh, one of the things we did is uh, we, there's a group of about, about 20, and we broke up into these smaller cohort groups. And, and each time we met, we had this assignment to bring some story that we were going to tell to the group. And we had to write a paper about it. Um, and, and when we told the story to the group, there, there were some rules. So, so the person telling the story just got to tell it, got to read through their story. And then the people uh, in the cohort got to ask some questions. But there were some, some limits, so they couldn't ask questions like, well, how does that make you feel now? Or uh, how have you seen that kind of show up in your life later on? Their questions had to be limited to the actual context of the story. So something like, oh, so in that moment when that happened, how did you feel then? So, so it was still remained in the story. And, and they couldn't say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I had this happen in my life. It, was, it all stayed in the context of that story. And I've spent lots of time talking and listening to people, and I was reminded in that that there's something very powerful when you enter into someone's story, not in a way where you're going to try to change it or try to help them solve it, but you're going to help them explore, right? You're going to help them know their own story. There's something very powerful that happens when we do that. I had a friend uh, when Gianna started kindergarten, um, and, and a friend of ours had their child was, was there also uh, at their school. And we were talking afterwards, and um, I said, oh, yeah, the other day Gianna told me that she played with, with your son, and that's super fun, and da da da, da. And, the, and this parent was like, well, how do you ever get your kids to tell you anything about their day? And I was like, well, I just ask them. And they were like, so you just ask Gianna, like, what happened at school, and she tells you stuff? And I was like, Yeah. And I could tell they wanted something more, like they wanted like something that was more complex and kind of uh, fail-safe, like it had to be complex enough that it couldn't fail, but this was so simple. And they're like, well, I ask my, my, my son all the time what happened, and they might say something, and then I press into them, and they don't give me anything. And I was like, oh, well, see, that's the difference. Right? I, don't, I don't press in with Gianna. Right? For those of you who know Gianna, pressing in is not happening. And so I ask a question, and I let her answer any way she wants to. And I might ask a follow-up question about 
whatever she talked about. But if I remove it from her context, from her story, then she basically is like, I'm out. You're not getting anything more from me. Right. And so so I realized, like, if I let her tell her story in the way she wants and in the timing she wants and kind of enter into that, then we have a conversation that's listening. It's participating with them in their story and not taking it over, not making it work to how you want it to work out and not even trying to fix it. Rich, when he shared last night, wasn't it beautiful when he shared how the times when he has to tell his kids, man, I did that and that wasn't the way that should have gone. And how many of us are willing to learn from our kids? How many of us, when we talk to our kids, enter into that conversation, not just I'm going to tell you how life is and how you can get better at this and how you can conquer that, but enter into it in a way where they can teach us and we can hear from them and discover their, their wonder and their excitement and their fear. Like, how often do we do that? There's a story. Jesus has entered into this town, and this uh, lady approaches him, and she's a Canaanite woman, which uh, means that she's uh, not someone that Jesus should be talking to for all kinds of reasons. Um, But she ends up approaching Jesus and saying, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, My child is demon-possessed. And Jesus, it says, doesn't say anything. And the disciples come up and say, hey, Jesus, um, why don't you send this lady away? Because she's kind of bothersome. And Jesus says, well, I've come uh, for the children of Israel, basically. I'm I'm here to help the Israelites. Um, And that this lady then responds and says, well, uh, so so she says, have mercy on me again. And and Jesus says, it's not appropriate for... uh, to take the food that's meant for the children and give it to the dogs. Basically saying, and, and you're that dog. I've come for Israel. You're, you're coming around like this dog. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs will get the crumbs from that fall on the floor, like the scraps from off the table. And Jesus is blown away. It says Jesus, it's almost like he takes a step back and it's like, oh, that was awesome. Your faith has just rocked my world. What you want, done. Right? Jesus learned. Jesus was moved. Jesus was impacted. It's not like some robot walking around giving miracles and doling out stuff. He's a human being, and he responds, and he interacts, and he's moved, and he's changed. Her daughter was healed on that very hour. How often do we enter into someone's story and we're not listening in a way that allows them to to move us? We're looking to move and shape them. Last story, and then we're going to wrap up. One of the most uh, powerful Holy Spirit experiences I've ever had was uh, up on UW's campus. I had met this guy. And he was wanting to be part of UCF, the, the, the campus ministry group I worked with. And, uh, and so he was going through all kind of the normal avenues. He signed up with our, on our, at our table and came to a couple of our meetings. And so I said, hey, you want to go get coffee? And he said, yeah. And so we went and got coffee. And, um, and it was one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had. It, it was like an hour of me asking questions and him responding with yes no, no, yes, no, I don't know, yes, no. 
And, and it was an hour of that. And so I, I just left that just praying and exhausted, right? Met again, same thing. And, and I just ran out the third time we met. I just ran out of, of energy and questions, right? I wasn't going to pull out like trivial pursuit cards or anything like that and try to start asking him questions. And so I just stopped. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit just pressing me saying, listen. And I was like, no one's saying anything. What do you want me to listen to? Right? What are you talking about? This is craziness. Just listen, 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 listen. And so I sat and did nothing for about 45 minutes. And this guy sat and did nothing for about 45 minutes. And then I was like, okay, well, it's, it's time for us to go. And he was like, all right, bye. And we left, and I was like, I'll probably never see him again. Um, and, and so he showed up our next Friday night and was like, hey, can we meet again? And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Uh, so, so we met, and he said to me, he said, no one has ever sat and just let me be. Everyone pushes me to try and talk. Everyone pushes me to give answers. And no one has ever just met with me like that and sat there and let me be okay for who I was. And he said, that's why I want to be part of your group. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. I have no idea how, but, but it was just this moment where I realized listening and being present, faithfully present, we have so many agendas and so many ideas. And, and sometimes it just means, you know, we talk about be still and know that I am God. Sometimes it's just be still and know whoever you're with. Listen in a way where you're not trying to control the situation. Listen in a way where you're not trying to push something. But you just are. You're there together. Just being. And, and, and there's all kinds of listening and testimony happening even in that. We have had a great gift of faithful presence that has been given to us. That God is faithfully present within himself in the Trinity. He invites us into his faithful presence. And we become a part of that in our adoption as sons and daughters of Christ. And we're called in the Great Commission to go and be faithfully present through listening and testimony to the people around us. And in doing so, we will introduce them to the very nature and person of God. But this retreat has been given to us as a gift. A gift from God. A time to get away from some of the other rhythms in our lives. And our journey. And throughout this weekend, we've had time to practice listening and testimony, and it's been wonderful. The invitation now is that as we leave, as we go, that we would go and make friends, that we would go and be a blessing to those around us by being faithfully present through our listening and our testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I give you deep thanks, God, that, that Lord, I give you thanks that it's not just a, 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 like a blueprint for how to be in a relationship, that there's not just some quick little thing, steps we can follow, but that you are so wise, God, and you are so, your love is so grand that there are so many ways it can be expressed, that it's like each one of us has a unique way that we can do that, that our person, that who we are is just the way you made us so that we can show another expression of your love and how wide and deep it is. God, I pray that as we go, as the people you've created us to be individually and as a community, we would listen in our own unique.
way. And that people around us would, would sense that, would, would, would be drawn as we listen to them, that they would trust as we listen. And that as we build that trust, we would be able to speak in our own unique God-created way. And that we would more and more live into that. And Lord, I just think you're going to do amazing things as we attend to your image bearers in creation around us. Help us, God, to do this in a way that glorifies and honors you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?